Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 48 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Ephesus, Part 3. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. As in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's been the topic of this study uh, of the churches in Revelation. And we're trying to get us an idea of what church will look like in these end times and right before the coming of Christ. What will church look like? What will be coming against the church? Uh, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we do have an adversary. And uh, he's real. And he's out here. And he's uh, his goal is to have you to have a bad day. And uh, that is his goal. And he is not your friend. Our adversary is not your friend. It was, for some reason, he really enjoys messing up people's lives. He gets a kick out of it for some reason. And it leads me to this little quote here of Mark Twain. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Is anybody's flesh bear witness with that one? Yeah. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And so it is in this day that we're living in of how much that we believe that just ain't so. So as we look at the scriptures and as Christians, our uh, one of our greatest um, benefits that we have as being Christians is that we do have truth. And we can believe those things that are so and not the things of the world that aren't so because it brings a lot of confusion uh, with it. Now, as we start to jump in again here, we're just finishing up uh, Ephesus, the church, the first church in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter two of the seven churches. And um, so we've went through the historical study of the understanding the what the ruins are that are still there now in Ephesus, which are actually quite a lot. Uh, as we get into Smyrna, we'll see there's not too many ruins there. And that's because there was a city built on top of the ruins, and so therefore the ruins were pretty much destroyed. But not so in Ephesus. It was the largest city in Asia Minor in the first century, a center for ancient occultic pagan rituals. Uh, the Temple of Artemis was there, and we've spoken about that. Also known as the Temple of Diana, was a Greek temple dedicated to an ancient local form of the goddess of Artemis. Now, in these, uh, this time period, it's been Trevor wrote a teaching on all the gods that were worshipped uh, then. Uh, we, we like, for some reason, we'll get this idea that that's not happening now, but it is these false, these uh, pagan gods, I should call them, are still alive and well on planet Earth. Well, we see here that the book of uh, chapter 2, uh, Revelation starts off to this church's Ephesus. We see these seven churches. He says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and uh, submits the sold, uh, seven golden candlesticks. And you can see in that depiction there of that picture, the seven stars in the right hand, and then around uh, that vision of Jesus, he saw the seven lampstands, uh, which were stars were angel, lampstands were churches. 
Now, in Ephesus, it was one of the largest and most important cities in the world. Now, as we go in from Ephesus, then to Smyrna, and then to Pergamos, those three cities we'll find were kind of in competition with each other. They were all port cities, and they were in competition with each other with who was the greatest uh, city. And so, therefore, they built them up, and they had all these gods and goddesses. They had all of these uh, these uh, great big feasts and festivals to bring city in to pay tribute to the gods of the city. Now, this was the reason that Paul settled here during the period of his first missionary journeys, was at Ephesus, we can see, was he kind of had a mission control from there for three years. According to the book of Acts, Paul would uh, first speak in Jewish synagogues. Now, that's just not a passing statement. It's a very important statement. This next church, Smyrna, uh, will be built around this truth that Paul first went to Jewish synagogues. And the part as uh, Christians, it's good and healthy for us to get in our minds that the early Christians were, were Jewish converts. And he, Paul went to the synagogues, and yeah, he got run off most of the time, but he, the reason he did, he took part of the church with him because there were those that were converted. Now, it's not that they were converted to Christianity as much as they were converted to the truth that Jesus was the Messiah. That was the message. They, uh, Jesus came to the Jews, and they, as a nation, rejected him. But Paul still went around preaching that message that he was the Messiah. And so and then there were those Jews that were converted. Now, this causes a problem in Smyrna, which we're going to get into here in a moment. Now, it's just very, very important that you make this distinction between Judaism and the Christians or Christianity, because there lies a tremendous conflict. Now, we see this in Acts. Uh, Paul would first uh, speak in these Jewish synagogues and in Acts 19, 1 through 7. Now, that's about A.D. 54. I'm going to start throwing in a few dates now to help you understand uh, kind of the time period and what's happening. That's somewhere. Now, Acts, the book of Acts, you need to consider. The book of Acts covers about 30 to 33 years, 32 years. The book of Acts, just the book of Acts covers a time period of over 30 years. And so when we read it, we kind of read it thinking it's the next day, the next day, the next day, when actually it covers a period of 30 years. Now, let's go to this next one. Paul is forced to leave the synagogue and start a new work. That's all there in Acts 19. But in, as he did that, though, that's we about jumped another year, even though we went from one verse to the next. That's about it for he was there about a year, and then that was A.D. Uh, 55. Now, we got, Paul did many signs and wonders, and if you'll notice, that's about another year after he had started his own church, been kicked out of the synagogue. He did signs and wonders in the streets, and uh, that was about Acts 19, 11 through 22. That's about A.D. 56. So we're reading in one chapter there, and we're covering uh, what was going on there for several several years. Now, Paul leaves Ephesus around 59 A.D. Now, if you'll turn to uh, Acts, there, chapter uh, 19, or chapter, yeah, 19 and 20, uh, 
And in verse 1 of Acts chapter 20, uh, you'll see there that, uh, and after the uproar ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them, and departed for to go to Macedonia. So we, here we see that Paul leaves Ephesus around A.D. 58, 59, uh, somewhere in that time period. All right, now let's look at this. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians in A.D. around A.D. 64. So he wrote the book of Ephesians, uh, you, which would leave you, lead you to believe it was written to the believers in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. And so as we see that this book of, was of Ephesians also uh, went through Ephesus and probably a Laodicean church, um, we can see that that was around uh, A.D. 64. If you would write quickly, now turn to the book of Ephesians. Just write quickly. And I, we're just going to, to uh, look at something here. Right, this was written about, uh, let's see there. This would be A.D. 59. So this is probably four or five years after he left Ephesus. Then he broke, uh, wrote the book Ephesians. And so you know he wrote the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is four or five years later, and he sends it back. Uh, well, it actually goes out to quite a few churches, but it's a letter to them about the, uh, what's actually happening. He's given them more revelation. Now, you can see it in chapter 1. Look at it uh, of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So you can see that. Grace be to you and peace in God our Father from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So just imagine Paul speaking to the believers there in Ephesus. You know the background, Artemis. Uh, you know that Paul uh, had basically been run out of Ephesus, I guess you could say. But the church was still flourishing there, and it was flourishing to a point that it caused uh, the town of Ephesus to come into an uproar because so many people were being converted. And it's not so much that the, that the, the uproar wasn't about the Jews being converted. It was about non-believers and worshipers of Artemis and Diana that were being converted. There wasn't probably that many Jews there, even in Ephesus. It had a pretty good standing of Jews because we know that there was a Jewish synagogue there. So, but you've got the Jews, the Jewish synagogue, then you've got Paul. He gives this message, the grace of God and that Jesus is the Messiah. And so you have some conversions of some Jews. But in Ephesus at that time, they viewed uh, Christians as kind of a sect of Ju Judaism. All right. They, they were uh, Christians, what we would call Christians today. Then they would call them believing Jews, uh, that you believed in Jesus. Uh, we, the name Christian hadn't been come about yet. but So they, they were believing Jews in the Messiah and then those that did not believe in Jesus as being the Messiah. So Rome, if you will, uh, the prevailing uh, government, the Rome, considered them the same thing. They did not make a distinction between Jewish believers in Christ and those that did not. Uh, 
And so they just said they're all Jews, and therefore gives us more understanding that the beginning believers were Jews. So, but then Paul writes back this letter of Ephesus, of Ephesians back to Ephesus. And then verse 3, he starts talking about you've got blessings, uh, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. All right, he starts using this other terminology of, of heavenly uh, uh, places. In verse 9, he says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, uh, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth, even uh, in him. In verse 11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him. There you got predestination. And I know you all know well the verse that says, All things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. All things will work together for good for you if you are walking in your purpose in which he's created you to walk in. It doesn't say that all things will work together for good, even if you walk in his purpose or not. What causes all things to work together for good is because we have yielded unto a purpose that God has created this to do. And here you see that we're predestinated according to the purpose. In other words, when we walk in the purpose of God, there's a type of predestination kicks in of whom God saw us before the foundations of the earth. Are you with me? So to, to agree with the purpose, I hope you can catch this, to agree with the purpose of God that he has in you is to agree with whom God saw you as before the foundations of the earth. In other, in other words, we're not going forward in the spirit as much as we're going back. God's calling us back to whom he foresaw us as being. And so when I agree with this purpose God has called me to, God supernaturally makes everything work together for good because he has made a promise to us. And we will fulfill this purpose that he's called us to when we yield to the purpose because there is a predestined power and love of God that will help you accomplish it even to the point that God will make all take all things to work for that goodness unto that end. Are you with me? So it's important that we find the purpose, agree with the purpose, so that this supernatural predestination thing can kick in. And uh, I do not agree with my brother, uh, John MacArthur, to those of you that love him on that verse. Uh, and then he goes on to say in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In verse 13, whom ye also trusted after that. You have heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, keep in mind, he's speaking back to these Ephesians in Ephesus. Keep in mind, they're winning over converts for, that are being uh, saved from this pagan god of Diana. And he's speaking back into them. He said, you got to find your purpose. And as you, if when you walk in that pers 
purpose, God's going to have some predestined things that he saw and had for you in his mind before the foundations of the earth. Then the supernatural starts kicking in, and he's showing them that. After also ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And so he, if, when you read the book of Ephesians, and you can go uh, continue in the understanding of just imagine being a believer in Ephesus. And then when you get over into chapter 2, it makes more sense. Because in verse uh, 2, in verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He was talking to those converts in Ephesus that had been converted from pagan uh, gods over into the faith of Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world. So when you read chapter 2, he says, this is who you were in times past. Then if you go down to uh, look at it in verse 13, he says, but now, you see that? In Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off were made nigh um, by the blood of Christ. So here you can see that he's saying you were far away from Christ, but now, now he handles the Apostle Paul's handling uh, the book of Ephesians just like John does the book of Revelation. You know, it says that uh, uh, John speaks about the things that were, the things that are, and the things that will be. And Paul's using this same thing in verse uh, 2, he says, in times past, and 13, he says, but now. And if you go to verse uh, 7, he says that in the ages to come. You see that? So he's got past, present, future. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceedingly riches of his grace and the kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That's when he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any of you should boast. So he's speaking back into this church at Ephesus, this flourishing church, and they are speaking about what, why do they get saved? It's because of the message uh, of uh, the grace of God. He also mentions in verse 3, uh, he said, Among also we had all of our conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh. He's speaking to them in their past life fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and where, whereby nature the children of wrath, even as others. And as he was saying there that before salvation, you were actually children of wrath. So just keep that in mind. So as you, as you read through the book of Ephesians, keep in mind that he's writing back to these uh, believers that are there. And so the book of Ephesians will take on a different uh, understanding and revelation for you when you see that. Now, let's move on. So Paul also uh, did, a, he wrote Ephesians probably when he, in some of his imprisonment, because after verse uh, chapter 20 of Acts, uh, on into chapter 27, 28, uh, Paul is in and out of prison, in and out of being captured, if you will. He's in house arrest, and then he goes before Felix. He goes before all of these uh, uh, um, courts, but here, but here's what you got to understand. And he, then you finally, you know, uh, went to Rome. Now here's the point: 
The reason Paul was imprisoned, and you hear me now, this is very important. The reason Paul was imprisoned from Acts 20 on, and he had all this trouble, was because of the Jews. Wasn't because of Rome. Can you hear me? It was the accusation of the Jewish, of the Judaism, of Judaizers. It was those accusations that got Paul in trouble everywhere he went because the Jews were recognized and accepted as a different group of people. In other words, you had the laws of the land, but the Jews somehow or another got an exception in a lot of these laws. The Jews didn't have to be Roman. They were given some special privileges. So the early Christians had special privileges as long as they were identified with the original Jewish nation. Are you with me? So why was this a problem? Well, we're going to see why it's a problem. Now, this is an interesting thing I'm going to throw in. We're going to get into the book of the Church of Smyrna here with this all in mind. Now, Paul had seven churches. <laughs> John had seven churches, but most people don't realize that Paul wrote to seven churches. That's where we start getting into this uh, theology of the numbers of the seven churches, which we're not going to do. But Paul had seven churches, Romans. Um, he wrote to the church in Rome, and that's the book of Romans somewhere around A.D. 60. Corinthians, A.D. 59. Galatians, A.D. 60. Ephesians, A.D. 64. Uh, Philippians, A.D. 64. Colossians, A.D. 64. You had all of those around 64, and those were uh, those were written at, towards the end of Acts, the book of Acts, is when these were, were written. Now, if you'll do your math, uh, Jesus was on the earth, and then you have the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and then you start doing your numbers forward. You can see this was about 30, 32 years is how long the book of Acts uh, lasted. Now, but uh, let me do my last one. Is that seven? Yeah, there we go. Thessalonians 8, AD 54. So uh, now his other writings are two individuals, Titus, Timothy, right? And of course, now some of these have got first and seconds. They've been divided. But basically, you've got those seven churches, and then you've got uh, letters written to individuals. And then you've got... Uh, uh, in, in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is kind of a, a book, a letter to all churches. It is to Ephesus, but it's kind of uh, all, it covers the whole gamut of churches. And it no doubt was passed to Thessalonica and all of the other churches. Now, so now here's there's something happened in Acts 28, 28. Uh, now, let me ask you this question. How many chapters does the book of Acts have? It has 28, all right? So you almost run out of verses at 28, 28. There's a few more after the 28. But you, you can remember when you hear the term Acts 28, 28, you can remember, okay, we're at the end of the, of the Acts period or the book of Acts. 
And here's what he says, Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. That's Acts 28, 28, somewhere in A.D. 63, 64-ish. And um, at that particular, turn right quickly, if you will, to Acts 28, 28. Let's, I want you to see that verse because this is important as we move into Smyrna. Um, it's got 31 verses in Acts 28. And it says, uh, let's, I'm going to start with verse 25, if you're in your Bibles, Acts uh, 28, 25. And when they agreed not to themselves, they departed after that. And Paul spoke one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our, our fathers. Now, you got to understand something. Up to this point, Paul's big battle was the Jews that had been converted, uh, that Christ was the Messiah, against those that did not accept Christ as his, their Messiah. Now you had some Gentiles thrown in there, for sure. That was the goal. It, was, it went to Jews because you read Paul's writings. It says the Jews and Gentiles. But he first went to the synagogues. Now, Paul went to the Jewish synagogues first until Acts 28, 28. After Acts 28, 28, he didn't go to them anymore. Why? Because he pulled up this prophecy of Isaiah. He said, here's what's happening. Verse 25, and when they uh, agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul spoke one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Verse 28, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. So that's important. Paul went to the Jews first, but after Acts 28, 28, he didn't do it anymore. Why? He said, okay, I see what's happening. It's this prophecy that Isaiah gave. He said, so I'm going to turn to the Gentiles, and they'll hear it. Now, so therefore... This is the day we're living in, is that verse that Paul quoted, and he said, here's where we are going forward. So now today we've got Gentile churches everywhere. And then Paul went on to say and gave the revelation, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond or free. You remember that? Why did Paul start giving forth all this information? It's because the Judaizers, the Jews, were making a distinction between them and these Christians. Rome thought they were the same sect, just a little different versions. So Paul, after 28-28, said, okay, here's our problem. Uh, uh, the revelation of the grace of God says there's not a distinction between the two. In other words, Paul was saying the message that I have, which is the gospel of the grace of God, the cross, uh, the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of all sin, that is the paramount message for this day, not Judaism. Judaism was that that was against the latter revelations of Paul about the grace of God. Are you with me? 
Now, I know a lot of people today love to run back in and revive the law of Judaism. I'm not impressed with that, not that I'm the one to be impressed, but I'm not impressed with it because of this conflict that I knew that was in the Scriptures. Then Paul dealt with it, and he said, now here's what we got to go on to. Now, am I against the feast days and what they represent and all that? No, of course not. Paul says that all Scripture is for our learning, but it's not necessarily all for our point of obedience. All right? There's a difference. It can be for our learning, but not necessarily to us as a point of obedience. In other words, all the Bible's for you, but it's not necessarily all directly to you. I don't do animal sacrifice, do you? Why? That understanding was for me. But it's not to me to perform the faith today. Are you with me? So that's important that we see what's happening in our point of obedience uh, as Christians today. Because I see a lot of people trying to mix Judaism with Christianity. That's right. I'm not saying we can't learn from that. The Bible says we can learn for it. It stands for certain things. It's types, it's shadows, it's symbols. That brings more revelation to the day that we're living in. I've got more understanding of the cross of Christ because of uh, sacrifice of doves and bulls and stuff, you see. So that's a, uh, an obvious example. But it's important that we see in our Bible study, if we're going to rightly handle the Word of God, we have to see this conflict between the Jewish nation, the Jew Judaizers, and those that Jews that believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They received him. Small number, but they received him. And it's with these that their early churches were planted. And then the Gentiles came in. But it was basically Jewish converts that took the first messages. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's just incredible. Now, let's move on. The message to Smyrna. This is a period of a great persecutions. Uh, we see that this happens, uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, quickly. Uh, Revelation chapter 2. As we look here in Revelation chapter 2, we go from the church in Ephesus unto the church at Smyrna to try to gain revelation of what we're up against as a church today. Now, this... Uh, we had great, the church, the seven churches I mentioned in the beginning, I'll jump in here just a little bit right now. The seven churches also, uh, for instance, the church at, uh, at Ephesus was basically the beginning church. And we look, we've seen that in Ephesus. The beginning church, what does it look like? They went into the cities with the pagan gods. Then we get into the, to Smyrna. And Smyrna gives us a revelation of what happens to the church historically from about uh, 90 to 100 A.D. until 300 A.D. It, it, it's amazing how the seven churches are also a pictorial of what the church has looked like for the last 2,000 years. Is that, is that not amazing? It's a prophetic revelation. So when we get to the church of Smyrna, it's known as uh, the church of the great persecutions. 
Well, we know, everyone knows about that the church was really persecuted in the beginning, right? right? Let's look at it right quickly. Smyrna was a city located on the coast about 40 miles north of Ephesus. Uh, you know, not but about a 40-minute drive in a car. Took a little longer then. It was one of the most uh, prosperous cities of Asia. Remember, Smyrna, Ephesus were in competition with each other. Who's the greatest city? Is it Charlotte or is it Greensboro? Right? This is, this is what went on with these cities. The cities were like their football team or their, everybody was, uh, had great camaraderie around their city. So there was a hill in, uh, Pegas back of the city of Smyrna and around the hill where a number of pagan temples form in a circle. So this is a, a pagan temple uh, circle behind that city. Because of this circle, Smyrna was called the crown of Asia. And you'll see that in historical writings and things that you'll read. It says that it was called the crown of Asia. Why? Because they took great pride in the circle uh, of the pagan god temples. I don't know that I'd want to brag about that a lot. Now, there's just a, um, a drawing, if you will, rendering. But now it's pretty accurate of what uh, Smyrna looked like back in the day. You know, they had the great theater. All of them had the theater. I was reading some more on Ephesus last week, and it was saying if you stood down in the bottom of the theater and it would hold 25,000 people, uh, if you did not have to shout, you just spoke at a high-volume voice, and they could hear you to the back row clearly. Is that not amazing? So, so how these things were constructed and built, they weren't stupid. I, I, I can't keep... I can't build a hog pen and keep hogs in, okay? Now, it's just amazing what they did here. So you see uh, Smyrna, you see Ephesus, bottom left, then right above it is Smyrna, 40 to 50 miles apart. We will leave there and go to Pergamon next after Smyrna. But uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamon were all coastal ports. Now, when you get to Pergamon, there's like a big lake or river that goes up through there. But nonetheless, they were all three considered ports, which we know Ephesus uh, filled up. It, it silted up sooner or later, and then the city was, of course, failed to ruins. But Smyrna today is still a great port of Turkey. Now, we get into the scripture here in verse 8, and unto the angel of the church, uh, uh, in Smyrna, right, these things saith uh, uh, the first and the last which was dead and is alive. Let's see. I think I skipped some, skipped a slide. The name Smyrna means mirth. Mirth is a perfume, the fragrance uh, which is released by crushing. Here was a church that was being crushed through persecution. Jesus presents himself as the Lord of the extremes here in Smyrna. And all power in heaven and earth has been given me, he says. Of course, Jesus in Matthew uh, 28. Now, can somebody pronounce that? Izmir. Uh, I think uh, An Anselman pronounced it uh, last week as Izmir. Uh, they actually went to, the Hanselmans actually went to the seven churches uh, that were studying a uh, year before last, I think, and they had a stop uh, in each city. Izmir is a city on Turkey's uh, Aegean coast known as Smyrna, 
in antiquity. In other words, and, and I think the name shifted. I seems like it would have been before then, but what I read was in 1930. The name was actually shifted uh, to Izmir uh, from Smyrna. Now, Smyrna or Izmir is about 50 miles from Ephesus. It is the third largest city in Turkey even today. Now, the, the problem with Izmir or, or, or um, Smyrna here is that the, the new city, if you will, was built on top of the old city. So therefore, there's not too many ruins left uh, to look at. It was and is one of the major ports. It competed with Ephesus and with Pergamos for political, economical power. They were all very important port cities. Now, that's uh, huge. It is important to remember that the core of these early Christian communities were Jews. Paul went into the Jewish synagogues first until Acts 28, 28. Uh, this is where we see the first division of the Jews, the ones that believed in Christ and those that did not believe. Now, it, it is there, and, it's, and it is with this information that we view this church in Smyrna. You're going to wonder why and where did all this persecution come from? Now, this is just of the few of the ruins that's left uh, of Smyrna. That is, that is actually in the center of town. It's what was left. Uh, there you ha had the Acropolis, all of these major uh, museums is where they put their their gods, and there again, there's very few ruins here. You can see you see the city there of Izmir, which was Smyrna, and then right in the center, you've got a few uh, of these artifacts left. You see that these ruins. So there's not much left there. Now we get back to the scriptures here. In verse 9, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, he says. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, that's a pretty strong uh, accusatory statement there, right? Well, it's not accusatory. The angel said it as a statement. And so he was saying that uh, you're rich, but there's blaspheming them which say they are Jews and are not. And this is where you've got to have this understanding that you the conversation here is between the Jews and the Jewish converts, even though Rome saw them as one. And that's the reason the angel said that. We, I understand who's giving y'all trouble. And, uh, but not only did he say that they're Jews that don't believe, he said, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Jesus said that to the angel, and the angel said it uh, to the churches. Isn't that amazing? Kind of stout of what the revelation that comes with the church of Smyrna on these Jews that were attacking the Jewish believers at that time. Now, the first thing the Lord says is, I know your afflictions and that means distresses. The second thing is Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you're rich. Uh, and thirdly, Jesus says, I know the blasphemy or the slander that's coming against you. There again, it wasn't necessarily Rome, even though they were used as the tool. It was the Jews were upset that Paul had come in. Others had come in. Polycarp had come in at Smyrna, given the gospel, and they had converted Jews that into that Jesus was their Messiah. 
as he goes on, he says, here's the promise that he gave. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Uh, be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So uh, the, Jesus didn't really have anything against Smyrna or Philadelphia. He kind of gave them just a warning at Smyrna. You're going to be persecuted. Now, we know for the first 200 years of the early church from 90 A.D. to 300 until Constantine, of course, made Christianity the religion of Rome. Remember that? That happened in 316. So, but until 316, the, the Christians were persecuted. Why were they persecuted? Because the Jews complained to Rome that they were heretics. Are you with me? That's just the way it is. Now, uh, you may be tried or tested. I will give thee a crown of life. Now, we can totally apply this today to us. We can be tried for our faith. Intended to be a contrast to the crown of Asia, the pagan temple buildings were built on the hill in Pegasus, our uh, one earthly and the other heavenly. The apostle Paul tells us in Romans that uh, the sufferings of this present moment are not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, he goes on to say. So this is where we get the revelation of suffering for our faith. Now, it just so happened that these believers uh, in uh, Smyrna here, yet these believers were willing to not compromise and die for their faith. The question is, would we do that today? That's a pretty tough question, I understand. Up to this point, the believers in Christ were believed to be of the sect of the Jews. Now, this is very important. It is here that this division of the Jews and the followers of Christ among the Romans begin. So the Romans started saying, the Jews, the Judaizers, the Ju those Jews were saying, hey, these, these are not of us. They're a bunch of heretics. And so the Romans started catching on to what the Jews were saying. This is what happened here. Uh, this letter shows the tension and division within the Jewish community. It appears that there are hostilities among them, of course, to the point that the angel said, uh, that they are the, these Jews are of the synagogue of Satan. The synagogue of Satan is in reference to the Jews that were persecuting and opposing the new believers. What is meant by the suffering they would endure? What was the downside of detaching from Judaism? So you could say, well, these were Christians now and they're believers. Uh, so there shouldn't be a downside. Yes, there's, there's a huge downside. And I want you to see it right here. Jews had special treatment within the Roman Empire. Citizens, and here's the way it works. Citizens were to worship the emperor and the Roman god of Roma. Roma was the god over all gods. So each city had a god over their city to be worshipped. This was unacceptable to the Jewish people. So they were given an exemption, provided they gave sacrifices for the health of the emperor. Okay? So the Jewish believers there in Smyrna, they... The, the agreement with Rome, with the, the Jews everywhere in the synagogues, was in your synagogue, you don't, we're not going to require that you worship the emperor. But we are going to require you give sacrifices for his health. 
And in those Jewish temples, they said, yes, okay, we'll do that. Now, that throws a, it's a little problem. Uh, because, uh, so the new Christian Jews were now going to be disqualified from the exemption because the Jews were saying they were heretics. Can you see the conflict? Can you see why they, the angel said they're the synagogue of Satan? And now you can see why. Well, the Jews had already compromised with Rome. The new Jewish converts were not going to compromise with Rome, but they, but the problem was they lost their exemption. So now they were required to worship the emperor. Now, does that church of Smyrna make a little more sense to you now as, as you read that here in Scripture? So, so now the new Christians found themselves in a situation where they had to worship the emperor and uh, Roma which is the god in Rome over all gods. Would they deny the emperor in Rome or would they deny Christ? That's the question. So when they would not comply, they would be persecuted. This is where the great persecutions began. There again, the Jews ousted them. They said, We're, they're not of us. They're a bunch of heretics. So Rome said, oh, oh, oh okay, we thought y'all were the same crap. Jews said, no, they're not of us. Christians were seen as being against the established order of anti-social and anti-social. Rome began their move of great persecutions against the new Christians. This is where it started, Smyrna. Now you understand why he said you're going to have great persecution. It said for 10 days. I hadn't figured that one out because it went on for some time. Now, in 63 AD, a fire destroys a large part of Rome. And this is 63. You see the number there. 63 AD, there was a fire in Rome, destroyed. Do you remember the great fire of Rome in your history? That's 63 AD. It was said that Nero, which was the one that Christians feared, had the blaze set in order to destroy the old parts of the city so he could then rebuild them. Now, there was a famous uh, of painting, I think I've got it up here. To silence the rumors, Nero accused the Christians, then the great persecution began. So you had this fire in Rome. Nero said, well, it's the Christians that set it on fire. He, but the truth is it was probably Nero. Here's a statue of Nero. Uh, it was said, and it's in this famous painting, that Nero was playing the lyre as he watched Rome, this part of Rome. It was a, this was old town Rome. And Nero was actually wanting to burn it down build it back up new. Now, here's so he said that the Christians that one, is the ones that did it, so everybody came against the Christians. That's when the persecution of the Christians started. Church of Smyrna, just like the angel said. Uh, that's when they were uh, in the Colosseums being fed to lions and persecuted. Now, here's what this one uh, uh, writer back in the day said. Following Emperor Nero's command, let the Christians be exterminated. They, the Christians, were made the subjects of sport. They were covered with the hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set fire to. And when the day waned, they burned to serve for the evening lights. Nero would put pitch on these big poles, tie Christians to them, stick them up in the air. And then at night, he'd have those poles set fire as a processional for him to ride in between. That's what happened to him. Now, there's another famous quote. This is uh, Hitler. I'm sure that Nero didn't set fire to Rome. He knows his history. 
It was the Christian uh, Bolsheviks who did that. Just as the commune set fire to Paris in 1871 and the communists set fire uh, to Reichstag in 1932. You see, Hitler knew his uh, history, but it just so happens he sided with Nero. Then we went into, uh, we got the martyrdom of uh, Polycarp. Uh, he was the disciple of John and the first bishop of the church at Smyrna. We'll get into that next week. We'll finish up Smyrna, uh, get into Pergamos. But here we see Polycarp was, uh, uh, Polycarp was probably born in around 70 AD. John, uh, he, he, Polycarp already knew John down in Ephesus. Uh, uh, John, he probably met John around right after uh, Book of Revelation written probably 90 AD. Polycarp was probably 18 or 20 when he met John. And uh, so anyway, then we see Polycarp ends up being the head bishop uh, in Smyrna, and we'll get into that next week. Okay, I hope you've gained a little understanding on what happens in the conflict. Why were the Jews persecuted? I mean, the Christians persecuted. They were persecuted by the very people that should have been supporting them. In other words, they were the same family. They were of the same. In other words, a religious spirit is what caused their persecution. That's where we're leading up to in Smyrna. So if you're a church that believes in the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God, in the fullness of Christ, then the religious spirit will persecute you. I didn't hear anybody say yippee. <laughs> a religious spirit persecutes the truth of God. And we'll get into that next week. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today. I thank you for the power of your spirit. And Lord, I ask and pray that if there's anything I've said that's not of you, that it would fall to the ground. But if anything that I've said is of you and of your spirit and the truth of your word, I pray that it will be quickened to our hearts and in our memories that we might be as the believers uh, there in Smyrna, that we would live for Christ, even if it requires our death. Let us have that level of faith and trust. In Jesus' name, amen.